0: Welcome to the meeple syrup show designers discussing design we're on episode 73 go deep all right so i'm not referring to throwing a football we're talking about going deep on design talking about things like replayability talking about things like deep strategy but before we get into the show i just have to first off offer an apology for last week uh tyler was ready I was not. I was traveling from New York and uh, there was a bad storm and had to take it quite slow. And so I was, was still traveling while the show was hopefully airing. And then Sen was even farther away, but we knew about this. Uh, Sen was in Mexico. What were you doing in Mexico, Sen?
1: I was celebrating the wedding of my best friend, Jay Cormier, to his new wife, Danielle Steele, not the author. Uh, the author. Oh, yeah. He could have own. got
2: into so much money. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So yeah. So sadly, we missed you, and uh, hopefully, you missed us a little bit. No, uh, Glad to be. We're glad to be back. And uh, and the meanwhile, the last couple weeks, uh, we've been playing games, and I'm curious, uh, Tyler, what have you been playing the
2: last couple weeks? Uh, the last couple weeks. um I recently played one from a small company, I believe they're in New Jersey. Uh, I can't remember the company's name, but the game is called Flip Hue. Um, And I just I love it so much because it's so simple but so different. Um, What happens is everyone has a card. All the cards in the game are double-sided. So you get a goal card. So on the top, everyone can see I'm going green, but you don't know what my underside color is. Everyone holds five cards, but you're trying to get someone to have five cards the same color but I'm playing from the front of my cards or the back of everyone else's so if I get Sen to have five blue I can go bam five blue I won even though it's on the back of his hand so it was uh, was just like so cool and different Um, I just really really liked it Um, and not so much playing games but I got these made thanks to our friends at Custom Game Bits (laughs) eh? I got my uh, fridge magnets
1: made up so yeah that was really cool. Yeah. yeah, Flip Hue is by Studio 202. Yes. yes. And yes. they are out of New Jersey. And if you go to their website, uh, www.fliphue.com, I'll actually show it right now, uh, you can see Tyler's Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wonderful <laughs> review that.
2: already. But it's a—it's uh, such Shameless a... Shameless self-promotion. I, know, I yeah. didn't know it was there, but it's such a cool Full little game. <laughs> it's
1: yeah, a, it's I, I, so it's, it seems really interesting already, so we'll have to play that when uh, when next we when next we meet. Yeah, um, good. it's kind of a hanabi-ish. Yeah, yeah, but competitive, right? It's yeah. competitive. Yeah, yeah, so you're trying to you're trying to get somebody out by making sure they have x number of cards of the same color or whatever, yeah. but they don't know that because they're flipped.
2: Exactly. Now there are cards that you can play to flip. Uh other people's cards, but oh, it's so cool, yeah, so yeah it's it's such a it's so different, but I'm like it was like a little eight dollar game I picked up. I'm like, this is fabulous,
1: that's eight dollars well spent, oh yes, definitely. that's cool, Daryl, what about you? What have you been playing lately? <laughs> Yeah, well, actually,
0: it was pretty fun. This uh, I was away at the toy fair, so um, got to see a lot of kind of breaking out games, a lot of mass market type games, got to see my baby Fantasy Fantasy Baseball uh, in the public. Uh, also got to finally see um, the Out of Time, Back to the Future Dice game um, that was now officially public, so that was yes! very exciting. That's and, so cool. Uh, yeah, I'm super psyched. Uh, actually, I was just asked today for the playtester's names, and you're on there, Tyler. Oh, well, thank you. Um, uh, and what else? Uh, it was a productive show. I got uh, one game signed uh, at the show on on location, which was pretty exciting. That's cool. Uh, so r Games signed, uh, co-design of Adrian, Adamskew and and myself. Uh, Artifact Stack is a working title. It'll probably be retitled. And then um, some really productive meetings with other publishers with our Seven Summits, uh, also a co-design with Adrian. Uh, so that was really promising, and uh, a couple meetings with IDW. So all in all, very productive. Got a consulting gig out of it as well while I was there. So I highly recommend the New York
1: Toy Fair. <laughs> it's interesting because it's it's not really for hobby games. Yes. It, is and it isn't. Yeah, it isn't. Right? It's breaking in. It's
0: it's fascinating. I I went to a lot of after parties as well and meetings, and they were you know run by Spin Master, run by Hasbro, run by uh, Mary Cousin and Chai Tag. and yet at all of these meetings, I was constantly meeting these you know big wigs from you know all these big companies, and they were looking to meet new designers. So
1: that's great. Pretty, it's good to know. Yeah, I mean and, and I think it it does show that the games are are coming more to the forefront or board games and it's not just toys or it's not just a subsection or you know toys lesser lesser ugly cousin or whatever right so um let's uh, let's see oh um I actually did play lots of games it's quite funny uh, I brought 50 pounds of games with me to wow Labo. Yeah, I, I had to weigh them so that I could get them on the airplane. So 50 pounds of games, about 10 pounds of it was my poker set. Nice. Poker chips. Um, but yeah, we played poker, we played uh, Dungeons of Mandem, which is Welcome to the Jungle. We played uh, Tissue, we played geista Blitz, we played uh, Lift It, lots of games, lots of games, uh, and then worked on a bunch of prototypes while we were there. So we could uh, maybe write some of the trip off. I don't know. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, tax time is coming up. Yeah,
2: tax. 50 pounds of gains. That's like me taking my head in my beard and just boom.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, and there's uh, a bunch of campaigns that we're watching right now on Kickstarter. Daryl, you were heavily involved with one of them, and it's ending, I think, in 2015. 20- two hours or something. Right? Yeah,
0: it's coming real close to uh, a pretty major number, but the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles campaign has been fantastic and uh, thankfully I got brought on to be a, a developer and my game group is some of the play testers for the different scenario books and rules and we actually also got connected with NerdNighters and we did a couple videos, so we did a live playthrough uh, which was really fun and then we did a tabletop simulator via steam uh live play with uh with Kevin Wilson the designer uh of the game as well so um hopefully they have a nice finish and uh everyone will be happy with the incredible amount of stretch goals that are all packaged in that box
1: it's kind of it's 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 a very polarizing campaign right now uh, in terms, of a lot of people are like, "Ah, oh, man, I'm not. You know, I pulled my bid, I pulled my thing." And it's, it's interesting to 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 see how people react to Kickstarter's nowadays.
0: Yeah, so, especially the first
1: week. But it's funny since
0: we've done those videos, it's actually just
1: been pretty steady steam up. So yeah, I think the people who are upset were people who got out before the videos were posted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, a lot of people are saying they never even showed the rules, but they understand. And you know, it was not an IDW thing; it was an IP holder thing. Uh, but then they just didn't stick around long enough to see the the playthrough videos or the ones that were origi- originally released were not, you know, great. Uh, and then the ones that you guys did live, I think, really captured the feel of this is what the game actually plays like. So I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, people will at least take a second look at it when it hits the shelves in the stores. So T,
2: because there was a... Uh, I was at a local... Game store this weekend and someone picked up another (laughs) big box game like that that had come out and I was like go online back to Ninja Ninja Turtles instead and like I was like sure he pulled out his phone I was like sweet
1: (laughs) (laughs) would that be a game with like the initials G B
2: I'm not saying, but
1: maybe Nudge Dudge Wink Wink. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, we were working on uh, Powers and Godzilla and all that kind of stuff. So it's all coming to fruition. It's all coming together in the, you know, 30-degree sun, uh, Cabo San Lucas on the beach playing board games. Yeah, that's what we did.
2: Yeah, because so, we had winter for two weeks while you were gone, thanks. I know, yeah. and we came back <laughs> to, like, plus
1: 12 weather. I mean, I brought I brought it back with me. I brought the weather with me, so you guys should be happy. And speaking of bringing things to the show, I think it's about time that we bring our guests into the mix. And the guests today are the wonderful, the multi-talented Kane Clanko, who is not Carter. That's just the name that shows up there. And the always... Wonderful to talk to, Mr. Scott Gata of Renegade Games. So you guys may know Kane. Kane is a designer of lots and lots of games. Uh, Dead Man Tell No Tales, which has uh, just been given a, a nice uh, bump as one of the top ten co-op games of all time out there. And it's really quite fun. I, I enjoy it. The kids like it. Uh, okay. Fuse, which is coming out with this guy right here, um, I believe. In, well, it's out, isn't it? It's out. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, it's out. Um, and a bunch of other games that, you know, Kane can talk about that. He can he can toot his own horn. And then, of course, Scott Gata of Renegade Games, who is the man behind that lovely R, uh, making things happen from there. Second print already, hey?
3: Yeah. It, we, so, yeah, the game actually came out December 13th.
1: Oh, and, we did talk about this. That's right. Yeah,
3: and it ran out. Uh, we ran out of stock around the first week of January. So second printing just hit our warehouse last week.
0: Awesome. All right, let's
1: start with the questions. Daryl, you're up.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, let's jump into the breaking news. A really exciting time uh, for designers to hear about this uh, March promotion with Barnes & Nobles. Uh, For anyone who's uh, not familiar, they selected five games and are committing to the month of March uh, having their employees teach and demo these games. And one of them, we're always a great supporter of and love, is Lanterns. Uh, Scott, yep. tell us a little bit about how that came together and, and what that might mean. Um, so this has been something that Barnes & Noble has
3: been talking about for for a while, probably on and off over the last year. And um, they decided, working with, with PSI, who is our distributor into that space, to give it a go. So they picked, I think it's 57 stores and they they chose five different games. Our game is actually slated for March thirty first, so it's five Thursdays in a row. And yeah, so we're supplying games. They're gonna be demoing it in the stores. We also provided some promo tiles and things like that and they're gonna give it a try I think it's a really good opportunity for hobby games in general I mean Barnes and Noble is is really a nice gateway type store they reach an audience that most hobby game stores don't reach so it's it's exciting that they're gonna start promoting hobby games that could really bring some new people into our
2: into our market mm-hmm. now I don't know Barnes and Noble from Indigo chapters because Canada is a little bit different um, yeah. but at least in Canada I mean, I'll be honest, the games seem overpriced at stores. Um, like you're looking sometimes six, seven, eight, nine dollars more than going into a hobby shop, and I know it's great that they're reaching the mass, mass mm-hmm. market, but just the, the extra cost. Right. Is like, uh, yeah, like a dollar stretch.
3: Yeah, I can tell you here for Barnes and Noble, they pretty much just price straight MSRP, so if, okay. if, if the game's supposed to be a 35 game like Lanterns, it's 35 bucks. Which I kind of like as well because um, they're protecting, you know, in some ways that's that's more friendly to the local hobby game store. So they're not competing on price, which is nice. Right. They're, and
1: these are people who would ne- most likely not go into a hobby game store to see what the price difference was. Or right. even look online for like Meeple Mart or Amazon right. where the price is going to be drastically right. cut, right? so.
3: Yeah, but I mean, you know, and I think that's true that they wouldn't go into a hobby store today, but the... The, the hope is that we reach enough people that some of those people then want to find a hobby store in their area that can supply a much broader selection and a more um, you know a more informed uh, staff that can help them in their in their game you know collection and and pursuing that passion so you know if we turn those people on into gamers that want to go beyond just what Barnes & Noble or a mass market store has to offer, I think that's, that's great. Right.
1: I'm just going to follow that question up, um, Scott. Who's Now, I know it's going to be Barnes & Noble staff that are teaching the actual games in-store, mm-hmm. but did you guys give any hints on how to teach lanterns yeah. to staff? How does that work out?
3: Um, yeah, so actually, we're, we're providing a demo script. Okay. So, so we're providing a demo script and demo copies um, and uh, psi who's actually helping to organize this in all the BNN stores, they have a really good guy that's actually heading this up named Andy who is he's kind of the the rep that, that handles that channel for psi and he's also an avid gamer really into it. so he's going to be very hands-on. So they're they're trying their best to educate that that store staff so the consumer gets a good experience. And it's an experiment. We'll see how it
2: goes. Excellent. Uh Kane, uh, first off, I'm going to apologize, because due to the text, I am probably just going to call you Carter all night. So
4: <laughs> That's fine.
2: I apologize for that. Um, I have a question for you regarding uh, your games. As a very prolific designer, um, how, I don't know, be, Like uh, your games are quite successful. Um, you've done quite a few big hits. Um, do you... I don't know, how do you work yourself in the industry to be like, hey, you know, I'd like to, you know, get my game in into something like that, or, like, how do you, do you simply design, thinking, oh, you know, I'm putting this out there, or do you, I don't know, I'm trying to word the question properly, like, do you, do you focus market your game, or just, hey, I'm going to make this game, like, do you understand what I'm asking?
4: Yeah, I, I don't necessarily go into it with a specific publisher or it's more a broader market. I, I kind of focus on family games overall. Um, so that's kind of the, the feel of the game I'm going for. I don't do a, a whole lot of really heavy games. Uh, Dead Men Tell No Tales is my heaviest one so far. Uh, and then the upcoming Covert uh, with Renegade is also more of a medium weight game. Uh, but three of my first four games are like very entry level. Um uh, family games actually all three of those are real time games which has sort of become my thing I guess not on purpose okay. just kind of happened but um
2: fits fit your design style
4: Right um so I go into it with with the market in mind um to an extent that I'm 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 looking to hit the family market I guess Okay
3: Okay. Yeah. So, so I think he's. I think Kane is underselling himself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, in 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 my experience, um, he actually has Kane. Uh, part of the reason why I think I'm doing so many game, so many projects with him, um, I think he has a pretty good grasp of his of his target audience. It might not be a conscious thing, um, but but his games. In my my part of the reason why I like them is that they tend to fit the the target consumer pretty well, um, you know, like Fuse for example. Yeah, it's real time, it's it's co-op, it's strategy. But on the on the basic level, right, you can learn how to play that game in three minutes. Yeah. And and for that type of game, I think it, it kind of hits the mark nicely. So I don't know. Maybe you're not a you're not aware of this Kane, but but you do a pretty good job of matching up your design with the with the potential with the potential gamer skill level and and then. Again, getting back to like that depth thing, then it has more depth after that. So,
2: well, I think that's something that designers have to consider nowadays because of things like Barnes and Noble. You have so, and the hobby stores, you have so many different ways to reach people that haven't gained before. But do you sit there and consider, oh, I just want to make a fun game, or I have to target this, or so maybe I can hit this mass media type. Uh, effort and uh, but then at the same time, that might affect your development process, and it might grow into something that uh that it wasn't meant to be and anyway either uh Kane, you can comment on that please
4: yeah um I mean I definitely have the market in mind from the beginning, and i and i I let that steer my decisions that I know this has to be a product and not just something that I enjoy um. I think one reason I've had some success with this is that what I enjoy is what the market is looking for. Um, that's my best guess, anyway. Because uh, either that, or I'm just really lucky because it's worked <laughs> out with the first few. Um, so I, mean, I think that's I, it.
1: I think I'm gonna. I'd have to say that, Kane. You playtest a lot with your family, right? Yes. And your family is composed of you, your lovely wife, Carrie, and your two sons, correct? two sons, right. And your sons are, if I remember, they're, what, 9 and 11? Nine, what, uh, how old they are, are they not, now? They're, they're 10 and 13 now. 10 and 13 now. Okay, I met them when they were a little bit they younger. Were a little younger, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, that, in that nucleus, your nuclear family, is really, you know, what the, target market, the market yeah. is, right? So. Right because you're playtesting with the target market or a uh, representation of the target market, I think your games hit that level. And so I know that Daryl and I playtest a lot with other game designers, and so maybe our games are actually hitting at that level for some things, right? And then we, we can bring it all down what whatnot, but a lot of times I think the, the depth of play that you get is something that evolves from who playtested the game with you. Would you agree?
4: Uh yeah, I would. And and maybe that's why all of my games I think even the heavier ones, like Dead Men, Tell No Tales, like I said, that's been my heaviest game. Mm-hmm. That was actually my ten year old's favorite game. Yeah. So it it still has an an entry level feel that it's not too difficult to get into. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, that's probably a big part of it, just who I play with.
1: <laughs> um Scott, let's talk about depth and mechanics. And from the publisher side of you, when you're looking at a game, when you're say you're looking at one of Kane's games or one of our games any game, what to you says that's deep enough for the target market and not too complex? And what types of mechanics are you finding to be very much, you know, um, you know, blue chip for you in terms of hitting your target market depth-wise? Um,
3: well, I mean, I, I don't think I can really narrow it down to specific mechanics. Um, I think it probably, as far as um, hitting that wall where it might not work for a broader audience, really comes down to, for me, um, if there's almost too much in the game, right? Like, usually when I'm playing a game, I kind of try to boil it down to, like, what's the most fun part of this game and what's the, what's the experience, um, and I do like theme too. So if your mechanics are really supporting that theme and 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 making it immersive, that goes a long way for me personally. Um, where I think we run into problems is where there's more layers of complexity just put on top of the game, and it doesn't it doesn't necessarily add more to it. It's it's just adding more things on there for the sake of adding more things on there. And I know that's a very subjective thing. Um, but in the context of being able to reach new, new people and not scare them away, I almost feel like you, you kind of need to tier that, um, tier that experience. So it, it's kind of hard to, it's ca- hard to, to quantify um, in general. It's kind of more on a game-by-game basis.
0: Okay. Uh, jumping back to Kane, uh, I actually got the pleasure of meeting you at Gen Con, and it was uh, Amongst Us Running in All Directions. Yes, you and your uh,
4: giant bag of (laughs)
0: prototypes, And you too. Uh, People don't understand. Like, Kane has uh, a bunch of games that are really well polished, and he goes from meeting to meeting with all the major publishers. It's incredible. And um, one of them being Renegade, but also I'm amazed with all the other, you know, really significant publishers that you've already been, uh, you've already worked with. Uh, And I'm curious, how did you, you know, we have a lot of new designers watching. How did you initially early on before anyone knew who you were? Um, because, you know, now we you've established you you can make great games. But before, they didn't know you. How were you getting meetings with these established publishers? And uh, what tips would you give, you know, new designers that are watching on how to, you know, get, get a meeting?
4: Sure. Um, my first couple, well, the first one... Um, was Pressure Cooker and that was with Rio Grande and they actually held a couple design contests back in 2009-2010 early 2010 I was laid off from work and I decided I'd give this game design thing a chance Um, I had never designed a game before but I was interested in it yep so I started working on Pressure Cooker Um, once I felt like it was a good game uh, I read on Board Game Geek or somewhere um, that uh, Rio Grande was holding a contest. Wow. A, a design contest. So One of the regional areas was in Milwaukee, which is about two hours from me. So I joined that group, um, went in with my game. I ended up winning the regional, which got me a trip to the Chicago Toy Fair uh, with a meeting with Jay Tummelson of Rio Grande. So And he ended up liking the game and uh, gave me a contract for it so that was the first one that's very non-traditional so I don't know that I can give that as advice but um, the second one was with Mayfair that's mad city uh, that one was actually a protospiel event uh, in Milwaukee and I was there I didn't know anyone from Mayfair um, I didn't I knew someone was there but I didn't even know who they were And I was actually playing a different game and they were interested so they they wanted to set up a meeting with me and we played that game, they they liked it, uh, we talked about it for a little while, and then we were just sitting around chatting, and I pulled Mad City out of my bag. I'd only been working on it maybe two or three weeks at that point, so I was kind of hesitant, but I was like, we've got six people at the table, like a half hour left, so I just pulled it out, and we played it, and they were like, okay, forget that other game, we want this one. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's how I kind of got started, I don't I don't know if I lucked into it. I was in the right place at the right time with both of those and just happened to have the game type that they were looking for. Uh, too uh, humble. You,
0: you put yourself in those positions, though. No, no. Yeah. <laughs>
4: um, Create the opportunity. That's right. Well, with the with the rest of them, I've, I for sure did. Because I've gone to Gen Con now for the last three years. Now that I thought, okay, maybe I, I'm I'm alright at this game design thing. I'll, I'll keep trying. So the last three years, I've gone to Gen Con and I think I've played one game total over three years. I just go there, and I I set up meetings. I go booth to booth and say, hey, I've got these games. You want to see them? And that's how the rest of them have happened. That's how I met Scott, actually.
2: Yeah, that's right. I have a question for you, Scott. Um, Lanterns being the huge success that it has been, uh, how did the merging between uh, Foxtrot and Renegade happen? For for lanterns. Okay, um, so
3: I originally I saw the um, Kickstarter for lanterns, and I remember going to the Kickstarter and watching the video and actually cursing, and going. <laughs> I, I was I really liked the game based on the video. I liked the look of it, and I liked the premise. And um, and my initial gut reaction was, you know, I probably would have published this game. Um, and then the Kickstarter ran through, and it finished up, and then I met Randy at BGG Con that November, about a month or so, or a few weeks after his Kickstarter wrapped up, and told him that I really liked the game, and I wanted to play it, and we played the game, and then we started talking about what his plan was after Kickstarter, and um, I kind of gave him my little take on Kickstarter. I said, you know, Kickstarter is a wonderful thing, but it's also where good games potentially go to die, because... Everybody focuses on their Kickstarter and getting funded and getting the game out the door, and then they don't, there's no plan afterwards. And, um, and Randy kind of agreed, and he said, yeah, I did Relic Expedition last year. Oh, I made a comment. I said, yeah, everybody goes and they, they do their Kickstarter, and they print 500 extra copies, and then they wind up having a bunch of copies left over in their garage. And he said, yeah, I have a bunch of Relic Expedition at my garage. Um, so, you know, what do you, what do you think? So we we worked out a deal really pretty quickly where we would co-publish the game, and from once he was done fulfilling his Kickstarter, then I would kind of take it and do my thing with it, and get it into broader distribution and really give it a lot of marketing and attention, and and launch it from there. So, okay. and it went pretty well.
1: Mm-hmm. I definitely think that's one of the strongest things that uh, you uh, Renegade is bringing to the table in terms of getting games like Lanterns which is a great game um, and you know it's a long storied history with uh, Daryl myself and Chris and, and Lanterns and before it was Lanterns and whatever right um, that what you've added the value that you've added as a publisher has really got it to places where it may not have got with another publisher even though it's still probably gonna be the same game Um, And so, that's kind of that area of depth that you add to it. Uh, Going back to Kane and talking about depth and mechanics and game design, how do you keep something interesting, deep, um, you know, enough enough changing so that people want to play the game again but simple enough that it does hit that target audience that you're looking at in terms of a family-oriented game? What are you doing differently?
4: Well, maybe I'm not the best person to ask, since <laughs> um, a lot of my games are more the entry level. Um, but as far as replayability, like with Fuse, there, there's a certain amount of depth there um, mm-hmm. with the communication between players and things like that. Um, but it's more about keeping keeping the time... Uh, The length of the game, um, matching the depth of play. Good idea. Yeah. If if it's a lighter game, it can't go too long. And if it's a deep game, you don't you don't want it cut off too short. It it's about finding that that balance between time of play and the depth of play. I think that keeps people coming back for it.
1: That's an excellent excellent point, Uh, Daryl. I think you're next, right?
0: Yep. A question for Scott. Uh, I. Notice, obviously, you have some games that you have discovered, you know, directly from Kane, for example. Others you've built through relationships, uh, partnerships. You mentioned, for example, Lanterns. Um, I I have Snow Tales, for instance. So I think of that, and I wonder about that and other games. Do you see Renegade uh, building some connections with other publishers or partnerships? And uh, are there any games that you'd like to highlight that are coming out that people don't know about yet, or is, it, is this um, a new trend? Sure. Um, well, I mean, for me, I think it's going to be a combination.
3: Like, Snowtails <laughs> came, came about because I really liked the game, and it was out of print, so I looked up the guys, you know, the Fragor Brothers over in Scotland, and I met them at Essen two years ago, and said, I want to bring the game back, and they said, that would be awesome. So, that's one where that came about. Uh, coming up, so I'm doing another collaboration with Foxtrot with Randy. I really like working with Randy, and that's kind of what it boils down to as well. Um, I don't want to do lots of co-publishing arrangements. I want to work with people that I work well with, and I work really well with him. So we're doing the same sort of thing with World's Fair 1893. Woo-hoo! It's coming out in May. Yeah, we're yes. really excited about that one. It's, it's a pretty pretty, pretty awesome game. Another amazing uh, designer,
0: Alex Cavern. Mm-hmm. Yep.
3: Um... So we're doing that. And then I'm also working with uh, Andrew Fetterspiel, um, who I had met years ago, right after he kind of left his his old gig in the video game world and was starting to get into tabletop. And we we met, and then I didn't see him for a year or two, and then uh, we connected again, and we're basically, I'm going to partner with him on Apotheca, because I like that game as well.
0: And you guys also have Knee Jerk as well? Uh,
3: Yeah, so that kind of came after the fact um, as so part fun. of our relationship, he said, you know, could you take knee-jerk over and, you know, try to get it more exposure, so... Right.
0: Yep.
2: Cool. Yeah. Uh, Tyler, I, you're next. I do. I Actually, I have two... What I have the same question for both gentlemen, um, and I don't want it, the show to always be, oh, hey, let's get your thoughts on this, and we're warm and huggy, so I have a, a question for both of you, and I'm not... By no means wanting to offend or whatever, but I would like um, first, uh, uh, Kane, to address uh, the art on Mad City. Because I love the playability of Mad City, I find the art to be very bland. I find the game could be visually enhancing if it had different art. And then my question to our other guest. Is with uh, Kitty Paw coming out, uh, being by the same designer as Cat Tower, and two different companies having the same look and feel but very different games. So I just uh, I, I would like to address those two things. So uh, Kane to you first.
4: Well, how do I answer this? Uh, let's just say I agree. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah, art is very important to me in games. Um, and that's something actually I've really enjoyed working with Scott. Um, he's allowed me to be the art director uh, on Covert coming up. Uh, I did the art direction on Dead Men Tell No Tales with Minion too. Okay. Um, so because I, I have
2: I have played Mad City when it came out, I was like, oh, because I love tile games, and I was like, holy mackerel, you're picking stuff, or you're putting it. It's just visually, it was not appealing to me, and I was just like, oh, this game could it could blow up. But I didn't know if that was a thing on your end or a Mayfair thing because I will be honest, sometimes Mayfair doesn't have the best art.
4: Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, I'll just say I did not have control over that one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. Well played, kid. Well played. Uh, and uh, so then, my other question uh, to Scott uh, with the whole Kitty Paw Cat Tower. Sure. What, what's okay. the well, story there? Well
3: the, well, the one thing I'll say is that so uh, Kitty Paw has ears. <laughs> <Game changer. laughs> so that differentiates it automatically game changer
0: right there. <laughs> right.
3: Yeah, I mean, here's man. No, so uh, so some people might not realize this. Uh Azza, who's the game designer, is also the artist. Okay. So, yeah, so he's a art, wonderful artist. He is. And so the art on Kitty Paw is actually by Azza, who also designed um, Cat Tower. Yeah. Um yeah, so I mean, and you know, I loved I love the packaging. I love the art
2: so oh, I didn't. Really I didn't think it was a was a bad thing by any means. Sure. It's just that two different game companies. Obviously, it's the same designer, same style. It's just yeah. you don't see that crossover like that very often. So.
3: Yeah. No, I agree. The timing was interesting. Um, it just kind of worked out the way it did. We're we're doing Azza's next. Is we're actually doing Doggy Go this this summer, which is. A slightly different gameplay, but kind of in the same spirit as Kitty Paw. Mm-hmm. And then we have some something new that we're working with him on for hopefully uh, Christmas time. We'll nice.
1: see. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. <clears throat> he, he makes oh, some very r- very very cool stuff. So uh, yeah. I'm glad to see uh, you know the Asian market coming to North America. You know, being Asian and all that. That's that's very important to me. Yeah, Hack, Hack's very <laughs> excited <laughs> on
0: on the uh, discussions saying he knows him and he lives in Taiwan, part of the Taiwan design crew. Right, yeah. Yeah.
1: So there's a question here from FC Effect. Well, not really a question. He said, oh, Kane, you went to Protospiel Madison, didn't you? I think I recognize you. So, yeah, just talk about Protospiel, Unpub, conventions. Why it's so important for designers to get out there and do that? How did it change your game up? Um...
4: I think it's just getting a lot of eyes on your game all at once and it's a lot of designers they know what they're doing they they know how to pick apart a game they know how to to maybe see things that you're not seeing uh, just getting new eyes on it if you play a game over and over you might get stuck in a rut you get new eyes on it they're gonna come at it from a different angle and see things that you didn't um, myself my wife is actually my best playtester. tester um, Scott knows Carrie um, she better than anyone I've met even at a protospiel she can she can pick apart a game and and do development like like no one I've seen but still going to these events with all these designers um, like I said just getting all those different eyes in such a short amount of time just you can iterate quickly play again make changes, and just keep playing over and over. Mm
2: -hmm. That's awesome, because I can't even get my wife to decide what we're going to do for dinner, and here (laughs) you are having her your (laughs) playtester.
0: So, uh, actually, talking about playtesting, Scott, can you tell us a little bit about how you go about, uh, once you're interested in the game, what are kind of next steps that, you know, each publisher does things differently. What are things that you like to do when you're interested in a game, and how do you play test?
3: Um, so it it kind of depends, um, but in general, I actually have three remote play test groups that um, I use as blind groups. Each one has a has a lead um, developer, and then the the play test uh, players that they play with don't actually get to see the feedback from the other two groups, and they rotate games between the three different groups. Uh, two of the groups are kind of general. One of the groups specializes probably in like heavier games, um, but I like to get their feedback as well, even for a lighter game. And I find that that kind of blind uh, playtest structure works pretty well. Um, and I, that kind of comes back from my history back in the day of CCGs. That's the way we used to run CCG playtesting: is we had a uh, half a dozen blind groups around the country that weren't allowed. They didn't even know. They actually didn't know who was who in other groups. You weren't allowed to tell people that you were a playtester. So it worked pretty well.
1: That's interesting. That's interesting. And and Kane, how about you? When you're playtesting with your wife uh, and children or other designers, how do you ensure that you're getting the right feedback? And how does your wife give you the exact feedback you need every time? What's the magic?
4: (laughs) Well, I don't know if I'd go that far. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, It's not always the right feedback, and I guess I'd say you have to know what you want the game to be going into it as the designer. Because mm-hmm. um, some feedback is not what you need. Um, it's not necessarily taking the game in the direction that you want it to go. It might be what that person thinks it should be, but um, as long as you know what you want the game to be, you can kind of pick apart what feedback is going to help and what you can kind of put aside. And sometimes even feedback that doesn't take the game where you want it to go will trigger something in my in my thoughts and just take me in a new direction, even though it wasn't exactly what they said. Uh, just, again, it's just getting all different opinions and different eyes on the game can trigger and spark new ideas.
1: Excellent. Tyler? Yes.
2: Hi, Seth. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was just like listening to him and like yeah yeah that's that's a good point and then it's just wow he's he's right. Um, question for our other di- distinguished guest, uh, shall we say? Um, with 2016 quickly approaching upon us, and you guys always having you know things in your back pocket, what uh, what shall what surprises might you have? from uh, Renegade coming up.
3: Oh. Um, hmm. Well, we haven't announced any games that are coming out past June. But you um,
0: can hear.
3: That's oh. <laughs> uh, true. Uh, I can tell you that we're working on another game with Kane for fourth quarter, uh, potentially, but mm, probably can't say too much about it yet. We're still working out the theme and some of that stuff. Um, I am working on a, a game right now, that Kane is actually working on as the art director, but it's not his game.
1: Oh, that's oh, interesting.
3: Cool. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. I mean, getting back to art, like art is really important to me in presentation. So Kane has done a really good job art directing his own products with me. So he's actually art directing another a game that we're working on with uh, Jordan and Mandy Goddard. Oh, oh cool. we know this game. You know this game. So
1: are think. you? Is it is it going to be the the, the game that you the can talk. well. I can
3: tell you that the game, the name is probably changing, and it's the theme is the same, but the way you've seen that theme before is not the what you're going to see it.
1: <laughs> okay, you just totally confused me, and that's okay. <laughs> totally confused me. But no, that, that's that's kind of funny because I, I, it's. Um, I think I, I told was, them to go talk to you. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I said you should go talk to Scott. So yeah, that's good that they that did. Actually, okay.
3: That actually has a pretty funny story at Gen Con is how that... Actually,
0: I would love to to hear this story from your perspective. (laughs) (laughs) From mine? I was with them many meals. (laughs) Okay, well, were you there Saturday night when a certain someone came by? I heard about it right afterwards because they talked to me about it.
3: Okay, well, I only have their version of the story, so I'm just taking what they told me and I can repeat Uh,
0: it. Oh, I was hoping you were there. Uh, No, I uh, wasn't there.
3: So, I mean, I can tell it. Sure. (laughs) Okay. So so I had been talking to Jordan and Mandy about their game at Gen con. Um, I actually met with them Thursday afternoon before the speed dating thing because um, I just had a night, I had a feeling that a lot of people were gonna look at their game during speed yeah. dating and I, we, I wanted... we highlighted
0: it at origins so mm-hmm. they, yeah. were, they were already getting ready to show the world at Gen con.
3: yeah so um, so I met with them I told them uh, I kind of told them on the spot that I liked it and I wanted to do it. So there's certain times where there's just things that click with me, and I'm like, yeah, let's do this. This is, this is different. I can, I can visualize, um, you know, what this is going to look like and what we can do with it. Yeah. And they said, well, you know, we're going to do the speed dating thing, and, we, and I shopped around, and I said, you know, I totally don't blame you. You, sh- you should do that. It's in your best interest. Um, and they kept coming back. Uh, they, we met again on Friday, and we played the game, and then we met again on Saturday, and we played the game some more. And they said, well, we have some interest from some other people, and I said, I totally understand. Let's touch base in a couple weeks, you know, or when we get back from Gen Con. Um and they said, Yep, yeah, you know, we'll we'll do that. And you're definitely one of the people on our short list that we'd like to work with, and blah, blah, blah. Right? But and but I and I agree too. They should explore all their options. And then I guess they were playing on they were playing lanterns, right? On Saturday night. Yep. Yep. Yeah, they're you know, in one of the hotel bars. And um uh, Will Wheaton walked by, and Will said, oh, Lanterns, I love Lanterns, it's one of my favorite games right now, which we had kind of already heard through the grapevine that he was digging Lanterns. So, um, and and they said, oh, we have another game or something, and they showed them yep. their game, and he said, oh, this game looks cool too, you should talk to Renegade, this looks like a game that Renegade would play <laughs> <laughs> And then went on his way, and then Sunday morning they came by and they told me the story. Um, and we talked a little bit more, and then they came back right around lunchtime, and they said, "All right, we'll just do the game with you." So thank you, Will Wheaton, for yeah. the endorsement. It was very nice. If yeah.
2: you're watching, <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I don't, I don't know if Will watches us, but whatever. Uh, maybe he might. I don't watch him that much,
2: though. So. <laughs> now um, I have a question for you, Kane. Uh, since Scott already spoiled my question of what you're doing, because we know you're working on art direction, <laughs> what else are you doing? <laughs>
4: Um yeah, Art Direction for that game and then I'm really focused on one game right now and I don't know how much I can say about it, but um it's a dexterity game, which is something new for me. Hmm. Um, kind of a it's a cooperative strategy dexterity game, I guess is how I'd describe it. Um that's really been my focus the last few weeks. So I've kind of put other things aside just because I'm really excited about this game so any time that I have any time for playtesting that's the what I'm pulling out right now.
1: Hmm. So is is that uh do your kids get bored of playing the same game over and over? Mine do. Yes. So I'm just... <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but they won't be
0: slave
4: labor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually they they are trying to get back at me now and they're they're starting to design their own game so last night Carter nice. had the table full of cut up scraps of paper and he wanted you me gotta, to you gotta do your test. time now. Yeah, you yeah. do my time.
1: Is it the gladiator game or is it a different one? No, it's a different one. He, did he give up on the gladiator game? No. Good. I about the gladiator yeah, gladiator yeah, gladiator yeah, gladiator yeah gladiator because that games. one sounds cool.
4: It does, well Scott has that one right now. We'll see. Wait, what seriously? Things. Yeah.
3: Wait, I was confused. I was like, is this a new gladiator game? What did no. I miss? Same old, no. same old
1: Okay. <laughs> 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 very cool. Very cool. Um, Scott, where yeah. do you see Renegade going in terms of you know, your market share, your depth? What is your what is your target? I know you seem to be looking at families. We've talked about um, you know mass market. We've talked about you know hitting that um, <clears throat> ten dollar, fifteen dollar price point end cap type game. Uh, with you guys as a Renegade product. So is that all that Renegade's going to do, or do you think you're going to move up in terms of strategy level, et cetera, et cetera? What do you think?
3: Um, yeah, no, I, I think that was, um, that's kind of definitely our starting point, and it's our sweet spot right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do have some stuff in the works, probably into, into 2017. Um, my, my trip to Nuremberg was very productive.
1: Nice. That way. So, so, so we'll we'll get to hear about that sometime at the end of the year.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. I mean, and and really the bottom line for me is I want to make games that are that are accessible and grow the grow the hobby. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be an entry level or a so-called gateway game. Um, but if it's a heavier game, it also has to have all the qualities that give it. The possibility to appeal to a broader audience, and sometimes that's not gameplay, that's art, right? And the mm-hmm. presentation of the game as well. Um, I'm really not a fan of what I call dreary
1: Middle Ages. <laughs> you I mean think, German games, like? Yeah.
3: Well, I just think
1: we have, have enough getting games. Getting King Kalis is upset. <laughs> I, th- I, I thought
2: think. we were all in our dreary Middle Ages. <laughs> well, speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs>
3: But, um, no, I think, you know, like, that theme is fine, but, like, okay, enough. Um, if, if we're going to reach a broader audience, we have to be a little bit more contemporary. So, mm-hmm. and push the envelope, try new things.
0: Absolutely. I, I'm going to jump this question to Kane. I'm curious because, I mean, we talked a little bit about, you know, we're talking about entry level or gateway games and even uh, games that are at least, say, accessible, even if there's a little meat on the bone. I'm curious because I'm looking at this wall of games behind you, and there's some there's some chewy stuff back there. There's some deep games there. I'm curious for yourself, are there uh, any deeper games or designers out there that you really appreciate what they're doing? Um, And, you know, you know your sweet spot, but, you know, you would point to as uh, designers, maybe on the up and coming, or that keep making great kind of medium to heavy games. Who would would you point to as designers that are inspiring to you, but also
4: you, you leave it to them? Um, They haven't done anything well. Canizia has always been my favorite designer, uh, although he hasn't done a whole lot recently. Um, I I have dozens of Canizia games, and his designs, just the way he can take um, depth with just a few pages of rules, mm-hmm. and they're games that I haven't played in years, but if I pulled them out now, I would still know how to play them. Yeah, they're yeah. elegant, yet yeah, yeah. Yeah, they just absolutely. stick with you. So that would be number one. More recently, um, Stefan Feld, I, I really haven't played many of his games. Uh, Castles of Burgundy is one of my favorites. I have a few that I haven't played yet that I really need to get to the table, but uh, just the way he used dice in that game, and I've read the rules and watched videos for others, um, that's kind of what inspired me to design Covert which has a kind of a new dice placement mechanic. Um, it was just kind of thinking about different ways to use dice and the way that he did that, um, trying to come up with something new, which also spun off Fuse as a new way to use dice, and this other game that Scott was talking about that we can't talk about came out of that. <laughs> Not yet. We'll Gladiator. talk about it on a episode. Yeah. yeah. Ooh,
2: that'd be a good name for a game, the game we can't talk about.
4: Yeah. Oh, you
0: played
2: the game oh. we can't talk about? <laughs> I like it. I'm writing
3: that down.
1: <laughs> okay, there you go. Credit to to Tyler Anderson. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is it Tyler's question? Yep. Uh, sure, I have a question. Actually,
2: I had, I had the pop bottle go off in my head because when you're talking about simple design and just people are talking on the chat about gateway games, um, someone putting rules to 52 pickup. You take your deck of cards, you throw it down as a simple dexterity game, but you can get points for picking up cards in order. If they're face down, you're like, oh, I'm going to take a chance that this is what I need for my set or my run that I'm getting. I mean, you look at something like the game, where you're putting 100 cards from 1 to 100, someone could put rules to 52 pick up, and you'd be like, holy miracle! they actually made this work. So, yeah, someone, one of you four do that, because I know that's what you guys do.
1: <laughs> was that a Was that a question...
2: No, that was more just... That was
1: my light bulb thought. So. Oh, you're, you're yeah. explaining pop what the pop bottle, bottle was. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Scott, Amanda asks, how long does your average game spend in playtesting and rules tweaking before you feel that it's ready to be out there in the world?
3: Um, well, in general, the, from the time we usually finalize a, a deal and the time the game hits the shelf, on average, it's about... 10 to 12 months, sometimes longer, um, generally not less. The actual playtest window and development window, it can go anywhere from 30 days to six months, to be honest. It really just kind of depends on the game and where the game was when we first got it. Um, and it, it also depends on the designer. So, so some designers um, are are part of that process and really good in that process, and and, and others um, others don't want to be part of that process, they kind of like to turn it over to a publisher and be done with it. I think those are rare, but they do exist.
0: So. For sure. Going back to Kane, actually, on the design process, I'm, I'm curious, uh, do you find, I mean, you told one story of like pitching a game that was only a few weeks in, but I, from what I understand, usually you have a game kind of at a point where you're pretty confident with it now uh, before you're showing people. I'm curious, and maybe it's different with Scott or different people you have good relationships with, but i um, curious to hear what the timeline is for, for you when it comes to the design process, because every designer is different, and yet everyone, you know, has this mis- misconceived idea that, you know, you could design a game overnight, but it's quite a process. Could you maybe walk through for you, you know, what is the inception to Pitchworthy uh,
4: timeline? for sure it depends on the game Um, for instance covert it was in December of 2014 I think is when I had the initial ideas and that's the only game I worked on I mean I put all of my effort into that one game and I talked to Scott about it I think the first time in March so it was about four months it wasn't 100 percent done but it was at a point where I felt like I I could at least start talking to a publisher about it because I I knew there was something there. It was it was 90-95% done. It needed some balancing and things like that, but that was about four months for that one, and I'd say that's fairly average. I mean some games I I work on for years, like I pulled one out yesterday that's been bugging me for two years and I haven't gotten it done, so every game is different. I Have another game coming out later this year that was probably a week or two in my head, and then I don't think it changed from the first playtest to the published version. You mean so
3: the, the one that we're doing? Slap it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Didn't yeah. say it. I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, okay. Apparently, there's a game uh, with Slapping,
1: slapping. it. Yeah.
3: yeah. No. So, like, covert was a good one where. If anything, like, I probably slowed down the process. Um, when he showed it to me in March, I really didn't get a chance to spend a lot of time with it until July. So over the over the 4th of July week, I actually had a lot of people come in to, and spend the week at my place, and all we did was playtest prototypes all week, and we spent a lot of time with Covert. But, you know, that's that's the other limiting factor that sometimes the designer has no control over. The publisher only has so much bandwidth.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and Scott, are you pretty much a, a one-man show-ish type thing? Um,
3: ish. We actually are announcing next month we're hiring. We have somebody starting that's uh, going to be coming on board full-time. Um, but yeah, it's me. Um, I have a finance person who is my wife. That's her background. <laughs> that so, works. So, nice. Yeah, so it's kind of good. Uh, but she does that uh, pretty much full-time as well. And then really it's, uh, I call it the cast of a million contractors. Right. Um, I, I do have a graphic designer that's pr- practically a full-time person. Um, she does, she's like my best logo and packaging design person. So I have a handful of others that we use as well. So, yeah, it's we're a small operation. A lot, a lot of hours.
1: Mm-hmm. But we're, it seems worth it because, I mean, you're a super happy guy. <laughs> yeah, most of the time.
2: Yeah, most um, of the time.
1: Yeah, but you're not into the
2: choir brother returning to the choir. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um let's talk about last questions because that is that is the time we we were running out of time. Oh, um,
2: don't put the pressure on me. I forgot the last question a couple weeks ago. Okay, so um
1: <laughs> Okay, so Tyler, yes. you have to think of a last question. Your last question will be to Kane. Okay. And I'll do my last question first to Scott. Perfect. Okay, Can so I you have my-
3: can I ask a question?
1: Yeah, yeah. You ask a question. This is this is neat.
3: Tyler, how yes. do I get one of those awesome uh, magnets? <laughs>
2: uh, you can uh, send me a message through Facebook or Twitter and I will get stuff sent to you. What I'm trying to do actually is send a bunch to one person and then they, like, know four other people I know, so now I'm not sending out ten envelopes. So I'll send you a whole bunch because you probably know people I know and say, oh, yeah, Tyler sent this. Here you go. And <laughs>
1: there you go. But,
2: yeah, one nice. coming your way, no problem. Those are sweet. Okay, cool. All cool. right, I'm done.
0: All, do right, all
1: right, all uh, right. And before we do that, I just wanted to give a shout-out to Armada Games in Tampa, Florida for saying their name wrong and thinking it was Amanda. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so if you're in Tampa, Florida, go to Armada Games. Uh So, Scott, last question to you about depth, about replayability, about all that kind of stuff. How do you ensure that people are going to play Renegade games more than the 1.25 times that average games get played? How do do Renegade games get to the table more often?
3: uh, I mean, I think that part of at least right now, with what we're doing, part of our sweet spot is that uh, the games are quick, and that um, but they have that kind of replayability factor in the form of, man, what if I just did this one thing differently, or what if like Fuse is a perfect example. Fuse is all about the teamwork, so what if we just work, tried again, we learned how to work together. What if we pass the bag a little faster? Um, and I think that's definitely a quality that we look for in play testing. Um, one of the questions that we ask our playtest groups, our our leads that are kind of gathering the feedback, is if their group wants to play again or feels like they have to play again. And Mm -hmm. if the feedback is, yeah, you know, they they kind of did their job and they played it three or four more times, but they weren't enthusiastic about it, that's something we really put a lot of weight towards. If they're like, yeah, that we couldn't get it off the table and everybody stayed for an extra hour, Yep. Um, after the session was over, that gets really high marks for me. So, Very cool. You know, you, I mean, you try your best, right? Like, and so far it's working okay. But...
2: Um, my question for Kane is um, what part of the process actually brings you joy the most? Is it Is it coming up with a new idea? Is it going through the playtesting phase with your family? Is it walking through a convention and seeing someone play one of your first games and be like, wow, people are still playing this? Or is it all one big package? Which part stands out to you?
4: Uh, I'd say I enjoy the the entire process other than making the prototypes. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, I think it's that initial spark of an idea, though, that gets me the most excited. Um probably probably both ends of the spectrum, so that first spark, and then when the game is done, and you're seeing your finished product and people are enjoying it, um going online and seeing people around the world playing my games and enjoying them, yeah. um, I'd say that is the thing that brings the most joy.:
0: Cool. Very cool. Well, thank you both to Scott and Kane for spending an hour with us chatting about board games and design and the industry. We really appreciate you sharing your wisdom and experience with us. Uh, We want to encourage our viewers if uh, if you see a game by Kane you know it's uh, gonna be a great game that you can try out and have fun with so pick that up at your local uh, game store or online if you know a a great online game store that you want to support Or Barnes and Nobles, maybe. I mean, hey, Lanterns is gonna be there. So, and we want to thank Renegade Games uh, President, CEO, I don't know what the official title is for Scott, but uh, Mr. Renegade Games himself, uh, for being here and uh, again, answering questions. We want to encourage our viewers uh, if you have guests that you'd like to see on future episodes or if you have questions or comments, please don't hesitate. You can reach us on Twitter, at Meeple Syrup, you can find our website, themeeplesyrupshow.com. You can find us on YouTube, etc. Uh, and we just uh, look forward to seeing what games you might come up with next. Uh, next week we have Gord Hamilton, and we might try to sneak on Joey Vigor and Jeff Sidak, uh, the two that we missed out on last week. So we'll see if we can make it work that to get all three all-star guests on next week. Till then, have a good week. Hi, thank you. Thanks, yes.